0: Unto us a child is born. Unto us
1: a son is given.
0: And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The mighty
1: God. Father, the of Peace. So we're in the third message in our series for this Christmas season, um, Name Above All Names. We're going to continue. If you'll take your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read right quick, and then we're actually going to be in a camp in a different spot today. But I do want us to read about this prophecy that came from the prophet Isaiah through the hand of God into him, and he gave it to us so that we could understand the one that was coming some 600 years later. And this is what it says. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Keep on reading in 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever the zeal. Of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So today as we look at this name, Everlasting Father. I am literally amazed at the thought that in almost one breath. Isaiah calls Jesus a baby, a counselor, and a father. Now I think when we get to Wonderful Counselor we begin to understand Jesus. We we get that. When we understand Him as Prince of Peace, we understand that. We envision this baby in the manger that will grow up. We get that. But when we get to the name Everlasting Father, it kind of confuses me a little bit because I don't normally think of Jesus as Father. I think of Jesus as Son. But yet also when we get into the Scripture, we know that Jesus and and God are one. And so absolutely, we're talking about the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son is who we're speaking of. C.H. Spurgeon said, How complex is the person of our Lord Jesus Christ? Almost in the same breath, the prophet calls him a child, a son, a counselor, a father. To explain, to understand something is not necessary for receiving the benefit of it. I don't understand a lot of things that I enjoy. And for us to try to sit and understand how Jesus could fully be God and fully be Son and fully be Father at the same time is more than my mind can grasp. But the scripture tells me that faith is the essence of things to hope for. It's the grasping of things not seen. And you see, what I'm going to know is that one day that God tells me all the mysteries will be revealed. And I have one job between now and the revelation. And that's to walk like it's in the palm of my hand. To believe like I fully understand. And to trust through all situations of life. Understanding and explaining the things of God is not necessary for you and I... To receive and enjoy the blessings of it. One of the things that we do need to remember is that this term, everlasting father, is part of a prophecy of the one to come. The Messiah, the one that would be born in Bethlehem and wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's him. He's co-equal. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But I think for us to get a full understanding of this, maybe we need to let another person of Scripture help us understand it. So if you'll take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of the Psalms, Psalm 103. And we'll look at verses 1 through 5 there. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Listen as I read These inspired words. It says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals and and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. David here, as he's writing these words to us, is helping us to see who this everlasting Father, this wonderful Counselor, this mighty God, who He really is and how He wants to step into our lives no matter where we are. David begins his psalm with one simple thing. He says, Jesus satisfies the needs of humanity. Now, this is a rainy day. And when many of you, when you walk out of here today on this rainy day, are going to hold an umbrella over your head to cover you from the rain. Well, I want you to understand this statement as the umbrella statement to all those other things that we just read. The umbrella is that Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, He is, this is the umbrella. He has benefits. And David says, don't forget all the benefits that he brings to you. And then in those other verses, he begins to spell them out so that we can actually reach on the table, put it in our hands, stick it in our pocket, and start walking and living life. He says, think about him, praise him. Have you ever thought about there's not really much that you can bring to God? I mean, God already has it all. If you say, God needs my money. No, God doesn't need my money. God needs you to give it in recognition of all that He's done for you, but He doesn't need it because He created everything. And you say, well, should I bring God my service? No, He has, the Scripture says, a host of angels at His disposal that at any moment He could speak and they would go take care of it. But God allows us To step in. And David says, what I want you to do when you begin this process is praise the Lord, my soul. And all the way inside to the depths, to the very being of who you are. Praise the Lord. But don't just praise Him. Praise His name. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise His name. Praise Him for the benefits. Could you this morning stand up and say, here's a benefit and I'm going to give God the praise? Off to the side in your notes, write it down. I praise God this morning because. That's a benefit. And it comes through a relationship. And had we not had the benefit of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. We would not get to enjoy the benefits that David's writing to us about. I can't bring him money that he doesn't have. That I that he already has it all of, I'm sorry. I can't bring him service because the angels will serve him. I can't bring him might because he's the mighty God. But David teaches us something here. He says that you can bring him adoration. You can bring him praise. It says that God inhabits, God enjoys... God gets excited over the praise of His people. And you know, that's something that He gave uniquely to humanity. He gave us the ability to comprehend, to understand. And David says, I want you to use what God gave you. I want you to praise Him. I want you to understand that He is the one who satisfies the needs of your life. And then... After he says this is what he does, he satisfies, he begins to explain it. So let's keep reading. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. Forget not his benefits, and here's benefit. Number one, he forgives all of your sin. Your iniquity is the word there that some of the versions use. And I want you to understand that word in the Hebrew. It's not praise the Lord, O oh my soul, who... Forgives all my mistakes. No. If all we did was have mistakes. We would not need a redeemer. That word iniquity. That word sin there means. At the greatest point of your perversity. At the greatest moment of your moral bankruptness. It means that moment. That you are at the bottom. What is the old sin? You're lower than a snake's belly. That's where it's talking about. It means that you're at the bottom reaching up and your reaching up doesn't even get you anywhere close to out of the hole of sin. And he says that Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He came down to your level and he redeemed you so that he could forgive you of your sin. But not just forgive you, but he could restore you into right standing, right relationship with God the Father. That sin put you in prison. So if you will, as you read that, who forgives all our sin, I want everybody just to do this right here. Just do it. Do you know what you're holding on to? Somewhat. I'm not holding on to calendars. You can. I'm holding on to prison bars. I'm holding on to prison bars because my sin. Now I want to do this. Sorry. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> I'm holding on to prison bars because I am in jail and I cannot get out and I can shake them and I can pull on them and I can kick them and I can do whatever but I am there. And at that moment that it looks like that this is a life sentence without parole the scripture says that in the fullness of time that Jesus came and he came with the key to the prison of sin and he unlocked it. And he said, as many who receive me, to them I give eternal life. He said, here's a benefit. It's a benefit of you're in prison. And Jesus came to set you free. 1 John 1.9 would say, if we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103 and verse 12 over here says that He separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. It's the idea of not only does He say, you're forgiven, but He is walking me away from it every single moment. He gets me so far from my sin that, that I have to look and go, wow, I can't believe that was me. And pretty soon, then I even have to step on, up on a ladder and look even further and go, Wow, it is way back there. God, you have, what a difference you've made in my life. You changed me. In the Old Testament, the idea is the one of the scapegoat. We actually talked about this Wednesday night in class where we said on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the holy day of Israel. That the high, the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies. But before he did, he would sacrifice a goat. And that would be the blood. And then he would put another goat. And on that goat, he would put the sins of the people. And they would walk it out into the wilderness to separate the people from their sin. And you got to hear me. When he says he forgives, it's not like, it's alright. No. It's like, it's all right, it's over, and it is. we are walking away. And listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. If you have ever been in the grip, the grasp, the throes of sin, and you have felt that sweet release that comes when you know you have bore your soul to the Father and said, for through the blood of Christ, forgive me. And the peace, the Prince of Peace steps into your life. An amazing, an amazing feeling. He says this. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all His benefits. Benefit number one, He forgives your sin. The second part of that one is, and He heals all of your diseases. You know the passage of scripture that says, by His stripes we are healed. Listen to me. That is not talking in that moment about physical healing. It is talking about being healed in your soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. The one that was sick, the one that was contaminated, infected by sin. By his stripes, when he went to that cross, you were healed. You were forgiven of sin. You were restored into relationship with God the Father through the blood of the Son. So forget not His benefit, you are healed. Your sin-infected soul was healed. But He also, in Scripture, when we talk about healing, it says, and He heals all your diseases. It does speak of, He physically heals you of real diseases. We are healed just as we would look in the, in the New Testament and we would see the lame walk and the blind see and the death hear and the dead be resurrected. He heals us. Psalm 107, 20 says, He sent His word And heal them. The word is capitalized there. He sent Jesus. John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God's word, Jesus, the everlasting Father, is the remedy for your soul. God's Son, Jesus, the Word is the remedy, the prescription for your physical ailments. That's why the scripture would say that if any of you is sick, that let him call the elders together, anoint them with oil, pray over them, calling out to God the Father, the one that heals you. I'm more convinced that in our church setting, That we need to circle each other and begin to pray over each other. Placing hands on them. Symbolic of the fact that we're uniting through that blood that was shed on the cross. The one that heals. We're praying for one another. God, heal their body. You say, does my soul really need healing? It doesn't feel sick. But I think just a cursory research would tell you that guilt, fear, depression, anger, anxiety, insecurity are all linked to diseases. And the scripture says that, that the peace of God passes all understanding. The scripture says that, that when we come to Him and we, we fling open our lives... That he is the solid rock on which we can stand. And I love when it says in all other ground. What's the song say? All other ground is sinking sand. But on Christ the solid rock I stand. You see. If I put my hope in Bobby. He'll be my friend and he'll love me. But at some point in life. Because he's human. And I'm human we're going to fail each other. In your marriage, you're going to fail each other at some point. But when that hope is in Christ, when that identity and that security is in Him, I love what the Scripture says. He's the lifter of our head. Satan is an accuser of the brethren. He accuses us. So he says, forget not all his benefits. He forgives our sin. He heals our soul. So you you see what it seems to me that David's doing is he's taking us on a tour of redemption. And his first stop is in the prison. Right? And we've got our hands on the bars and we can't get out. And then he comes and he, Jesus comes and he unlocks the door. And you've all seen the wonderful movie scene where the gate goes back and the the person steps out and they're free, but they don't know what to do. And so the wonderful and amazing tour guide, the Everlasting Father, takes us by the hand because he just took us out of the prison. Now he's going to walk us over to the hospital, right? Because he's going to heal our soul. He's going to heal us. But keep going. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives our sin, who heals us, who redeems your life from the pit. I love that word redeem. How can we do this? We're still in that tour. I'm in the prison. What do I do now? follow me, I'm going to take you to the hospital and I'm going to get an an IV of restoration and I'm going to get out of the hospital but I'm still walking and I'm going to be thinking man, you know what, I sold my life for this I sold my family for this, I sold this, I sold that and it says he redeems it so in my mind, the next stop is the prison, the hospital. we got to go to the pawn shop. Because in my hand, I have a pawn ticket that says at some point in your life, you leveraged this thing for something else with far, less, with far less money coming to you than it was worth. And so Jesus takes us through the pawn shop. He says, hey, lay your ticket on the table. And I lay it up there and the, and the person behind the counter says, well, you owe this much plus interest and you look and go, I can't. And Jesus reaches into his wallet and he says, I'll redeem it. You say, well, help me understand that. The scripture says that he restores the years the locusts have eaten. Right? That he can take that which was dark and marred and
0: scarred
1: and it says that he made all things beautiful (laughs) he redeems our lives from destruction sin made us a pauper 2 Corinthians 8 9 says You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ That though He was rich Yet for your sakes He became poor That you through His poverty Might become rich At Calvary He not only redeemed us from hell But He redeemed us from destruction so we're still on our tour in the prison what do I do Ivy of restoration I'm in the hospital oh look at the mess I made in my life yeah we got to stop let's go over here to the pawn shop because I'm going to redeem it you lay that ticket on the counter And that work of redemption is becoming more and more complete because now that we've been redeemed, now that we realize what He's done for us on the cross at Calvary. Look at verse 4. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Boom! I got golden jewels on my head now. And He's taken me to the palace. He says He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things. Matthew 7:11 says if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him Think about the morning of creation Genesis 1 when God would do something he would look and say it is good We've been in the prison We went to the hospital. We've come to the pawn shop. We're sitting in the throne room and we're beginning to live this God life. And He's in us and He's building us. He's renewing us. He's using us for His glory. We're trusting Him. And as we trust Him a little, we begin to trust Him more. And when we trust Him more, now we're beginning to age. And sometimes after that we look and go, Do I still have worth? Do I still have value? God, what's an old man like me going to do? What's an old lady like me going to be? Look at it. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. There's a lady that works with Gail. Her husband passed away when she was 57 years old. She had been pretty much a, a, a wife and mom and and the caretaker of their home and family. And when her husband died when she was 57, she had to go to work. She went to InTouch. And now she's 78 years old. Her name is Runel. And every day, Runel opens letters and reads them from people who are writing in and saying, This is where my life is. This is where my life fell apart. This is my struggle. And Gail said that Runel, with the compassion, of years and wisdom answers each one of those letters and says that God is enough. He loves you. Many people at 78 said, I've done mine. Ronell says, I got more to do. And you see, when you have been in the prison and gone to the hospital and stopped by the pawn shop and lived in the palace, you can't help but shout it from the mountain that God is good. And when you get to that bottom, you go back and you take that redemption road and you see where he brought you from and where he delivered you to. And he said that he that worked in you, he says, I want you to be my ambassador. I want you to go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in so that the house is full. Listen to me. It ain't time for a pity party it's time to look to the deliverer of my soul and remember all his benefits. You see, what we've got here is an advocate. We've got one who went to bat for us. And sometimes he does it supernaturally. And other times he'll just place someone very special in your life and he says I want you to be the one that (coughs) picks them up listen to this example
0: Teddy's letter came today and now that I've read it I will place it in my cedar chest with all the things that are important in my life I wanted you to be the first to know I smiled as I read the words he had written, and my heart swelled with pride that I had no right to feel. I hadn't seen Teddy since he was a student in my fifth grade class 15 years ago. It was early in my career, and I had only been teaching for two years. From the first day he stepped into my classroom, I disliked Teddy. Teachers, although everyone knows differently, are not supposed to have favorites in a class but most especially, are not supposed to show dislike for a child, any child. Nevertheless, every year there are one or two children that cannot help but be attracted to, for teachers are human, and it's human nature to like bright, pretty, intelligent people, whether they're 10 or 25. And sometimes, not too often fortunately, there will be one or two students to whom the teacher just can't relate. I had thought myself quite capable of handling my personal feelings along that line until Teddy walked into my life. There wasn't a child I particularly liked that year, but Teddy was most assuredly one I disliked. He was dirty, not just occasionally, but all the time. His hair hung down low over his ears, and he actually had to hold it out of his eyes as he wrote papers in class, and that was before it was fashionable to do so. Two, he had a peculiar odor about him, which I could never identify. His faults were many, and his intellect left a lot to be desired also. By the end of the first week, I knew he was hopelessly behind the others. Not only was he behind, he was just plain slow. I began to withdraw from him immediately. Any teacher will tell you that it's more of a pleasure to teach a bright child. It's definitely more rewarding for one's ego but any teacher worth her credentials can channel work to the bright child, keeping him challenged in learning while she puts her major efforts on the slower ones. Any teacher can do this. Most teachers do it, but I didn't that year. In fact, I concentrated on my best students and let the others follow along as best they could. Ashamed as I am to admit it, I took perverse pleasure in using my red pen. And each time I came to Teddy's paper, The cross marks, and there were many, were always a little larger and a little redder than necessary. Poor work, I would write with a flourish. While I didn't actually ridicule the boy, my attitude was quite apparent to the class, for he quickly became the class goat, the outcast, the unlovable, and the unloved. He knew I didn't like him, but he didn't know why. Nor did I, then or now, why I felt such an intense dislike for him. All I know is that he was a little boy that no one cared about, and I made no effort on his behalf. The days rolled by, and we made it through the fall festival and the Thanksgiving holidays, and I continued marking happily with my red pen. As the Christmas holidays approached, I knew that Teddy would never catch up in time to be promoted to the sixth grade level he would be a repeater. To justify myself, I went to his cumulative folder from time to time. He had very low grades the first four years, but no grade failure. How he had made it, I didn't know. I closed my mind to the personal remarks. First grade, Teddy shows promise by work and attitude, but has poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy could do better Mother terminally ill, he receives little help at home. Third grade, Teddy is a pleasant boy, helpful but too serious, slow learner. Mother passed away at the end of the year. Fourth grade, very slow but well-behaved, father shows no interest. Well, they had passed him four times, but he will certainly repeat the fifth grade, doing good, I told myself. And then, the last day before the holiday arrived, our little tree on the reading table sported paper and popcorn chains. Many gifts were heaped underneath, waiting for the big moment. Teachers always get several gifts at Christmas, but mine that year seemed to be bigger and more elaborate than ever. There was not a student who hadn't brought one. Each unwrapping brought squeals of delight, and the proud giver would receive a few thank yous. His gift was in the middle of the pile. Its wrapping was a brown paper bag and he had colored Christmas trees and red balls all over it. It was stuck together with masking tape. For Miss Thompson, from Teddy, it read. The group was completely silent for the first time and I felt conspicuous. Conspicuous and embarrassed because they all stood watching me unwrap the gift. As I removed the last bit of masking tape, two items fell to my desk, a gaudy, Rhinestone bracelet with several stones missing, and a small bottle of dime store cologne, half empty. I could hear the snickers and the whispers, and I wasn't sure I could look at Teddy. Isn't this lovely? I asked, placing the bracelet on my wrist. Teddy, would you help me fasten it? He smiled shyly. He fixed the clasp. I held up my wrist for all of them to admire. There were a few hesitant oohs and ahs, but as I dabbed the cologne behind my ears, all the little girls lined up to have a dab behind their ears. I continued to open the gifts until I reached the bottom of the pile. We ate our refreshments, and the bell rang. The children filed out with shouts of, See you next year! Merry Christmas! But Teddy waited at his desk. When they had all left, he walked up to me, clutching his gift and books to his chest. You smell just like my mom, he said softly. Her bracelet looks real pretty on you too. I'm glad you like it. He left quickly. I locked the door, sat down at my desk and wept, resolving to make up to Teddy what I had deliberately deprived him of, a teacher who cared. I stayed every afternoon with Teddy from the end of the Christmas holidays until the last day of school. Sometimes he worked alone while I drew up lesson plans or graded papers. Slowly but surely, he caught up with the rest of the class. In fact, his final averages were among the highest in the class, and although I knew he would be moving out of state when school was out, I was not worried for him. Teddy had reached a level that would stand him in good stead the following year, no matter where he went. He had enjoyed a measure of success, and as we were taught in our teachers' training classes, success builds success. I didn't hear from Teddy until seven years later when his first letter appeared in my mailbox. Dear Ms. Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I will be graduating second in my class next month. Very truly yours, Teddy Stoddard, Stallard. I sent him a card of congratulations and a small package containing a pencil gift set. I wondered what he would do after graduation. Four years later, Teddy's second letter came. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. I was informed that I will be graduating first in my class. The university hasn't been easy, but I liked it. Very truly yours, Teddy Stallard. I sent him a good pair of sterling silver monogram cufflinks and a card, so proud of him I could burst. And now, today, Teddy's last letter. Dear Ms. Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know that as of today, I am Theodore J. Stallard, MD. How about that? I'm going to be married in July, 27th to be exact. I wanted to ask if you would come and sit where my mom would sit if she were here. I will have no family there. Dad died last year. Very truly yours, Teddy Stallard.
1: You see... The scripture tells us that we were all in prison. And that when we were there. That there was one. Who saw the potential. Saw the value. And he redeemed us. And he walked us. From the prison to the hospital. To the pawn shop. To the throne room. And then the the New Testament. Says that he Gave us the milk of the word, and then we should embrace the meat of the word. And the meat of that word is that as you have been redeemed and have received, for you to go and be the one for somebody else. I would venture to say that everybody in this room has a teddy. We've got a young man that has been coming to church and he had to move. And some people we have for a long time and some that we have for just a short time. But I know this. some for a lifetime, some for a season, but all for a reason. We need to be, as the recipients of the love of the everlasting Father, we need to be the ones who give and share that love. I think it's so easy to come to church and, and say, this is what I need. but when the Son of Man came to earth, He did not say, this is what I need. In fact, the Scripture says that He totally emptied Himself of everything He needed to become what we needed. And then He says, again, you're my ambassador, so we need, as a church, as as we're running headlong into 2017, we need to practice not going to church to get what I need. But going to church to be what other people need. To worship him first. And to serve others second. What's the great commandment? To love the Lord your God in the seconds like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. Our theme for 2017 is servanthood. I love this prophecy. I love that the wonderful counselor can direct our lives. I love that mighty God can empower us to follow the directions. I love that the everlasting Father is there to hold our hand as we walk His journey. And as we'll see next week, that the Prince of Peace is there to to calm us when the road gets bumpy.